Welcome to another edition of the Volunteer State. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside the Knoxville News Sentinels, John Adams and Adam Sparks. Guys, uh, National Signing Day has has come and gone, which I think sort of puts a a little bit of a bow on on one element of the offseason. I think you know the transfer portal is slowing down here. We can sort of look ahead now, I think, to spring workouts and really what looking ahead to the spring means is looking ahead to the upcoming season and, and that's kind of what i want to get into today is we have some some too early as they call it top 25 polls out for next season first off what is what does this mean to have too early if it's too early then don't put the poll out right like it's one of those weird trends it's like i don't totally understand if it's too early then why are you putting out a at a poll, but everybody, everybody does it. What's the earliest you put out a ranking, John? I put it out in preseason of one season for the next season. You were looking two years. Yeah, I just down. looked. I completely ignored <laughs> one season and then just looked ahead to the next season. All right, guys. Well, the, one of the one of the rankings that is, is naturally going to get a lot of it, attention is the ESPN too early top 25 and I was looking at at this the other day seeing where SEC teams were ranked and I was initially a little surprised when I saw Tennessee is not ranked in ESPN's quote-unquote way too early preseason top 25 now they're doing this I think a little bit with the with transfers in, in mind of course and Tennessee hasn't added a ton through the portal as we talked about last week but Tennessee's not in in the top 25 from ESPN. Here's the SEC teams that are. Number one, Alabama. Number three, Georgia. Number four, Texas A&M. And there's a pretty big gap. And we get down to number 20, Arkansas. 21, Kentucky. 23, Ole Miss. And 25, South Carolina. And I don't think Tennessee fans are worried about those top three in the, in the polls. Alabama, Georgia, and A&M. There'd be no... No argument, I think, from Tennessee fans there. But to see Tennessee unranked in this poll and Arkansas, Kentucky, Ole Miss, and South Carolina ranked, two teams that Tennessee beat this year, Kentucky and South Carolina, how should Tennessee fans feel about that? Is this is this a snub from ESPN? Well, the, the, there's a couple reasons I think this happened. Number one is just a procedural a procedural matter. I mean, we've we've all three of us have been top twenty five voters before, and you have that the the guys at the top that you the teams at the top that you know they're going to be there, and you mentioned those top three, three of the top four are from the SEC, and then you have to cram in everybody else from all the other conferences, and then you get into the twenties, and you say, well, I mean, the the top end of the SEC is better than everybody else. I took care of that, but the depth of the SEC is better than everybody else. So. I've got to cram in some some SECs before this top 25 runs out. And so that's why you have all those at the end. They just ran out of room. I mean, you can't put 10 teams into essentially a preseason poll. You know, I can look at the ninth, 10th best team in the SEC and say they're better than some other teams in top 25, but you just can't do that. They have to earn their way into the top 25 during the season. You can't do it in a preseason poll. So that's one that they just, they just ran out of room. I mean, Tennessee, Missouri, Mississippi State, Auburn, LSU, for all left out, flip a coin. It could have been Tennessee. It could have been any other. So I, I don't think it's necessarily a snub. The, the bigger reason, Blake, is one that you mentioned a second ago, which is the portal. I mean, if you look at ESPN's how they did this and how they explained their their top 25 picks they have two columns key starters leaving and then key additions well the starters leaving for tennessee is 
the same as kind of everybody else. You've got the guys that graduated and have moved on, Theo Jackson, Bayless Jones Jr., Matthew Butler, et cetera. And then you've got the guys that are leaving that still had eligibility left. Tyon Evans, running back, probably your best running back, gone in the portal. Alante Taylor, probably your best corner, gone. Cade Mays, arguably your best offensive lineman, gone. So you've got key guys that are leaving that had eligibility left, and who are your key additions to fill those holes? Gerald Mincy, Florida reserve offensive lineman, they've added him. You don't have anybody else in the portal. The guys that we're talking about fill those holes, we know of them. We've talked about them in, in previous episodes. They're, they're freshmen. You know, I mean, they're going to have wide receivers that were on the team last year but didn't contribute all that much. They're going to have some freshman wide receivers that are playing. Who's going to fill the, the shoes of Cade Mays? It's going to be one of those backups who's already on the team. Everybody else is adding like a sexy top uh, transfer portal guy or two. South Carolina had Spencer Radler, et cetera. Uh, Tennessee's not. So if judging like pro teams and free agencies, who did you lose? Who did you add? Uh, Tennessee is the team that basically says we're, we're good how we are. We're returning a pretty good and okay team, but we're not adding any pieces. Everybody else is adding pieces, and that's why they're, those other teams are sexier picks to be put in the top 25. I also think a factor in it might be Tennessee's most recent appearance in, for the general populace. I mean, that game against uh, Purdue, a middle-of-the-road Purdue team, the Tennessee couldn't come close to stopping. It made Aiden McConnell, Aiden McConnell Purdue's quarterback, look like a front-runner for the Heisman in 2022, passed for over 500 yards and five touchdowns, I think. I think a lot of people watch bowl games. I know I do, and, and it just makes an impression. Uh, that's your last impression of a team. And I think why I would probably, if I were doing a top 25, I would have Tennessee in it. And I think part of that has to do with, I really believe in Josh Heupel's offense. That offense that averaged 39 points a game last year. I mean, I didn't think Tennessee was, overrunning an offensive talent, but it put up big numbers on a lot of teams. If you get in against a just, you know, middle of the road team, it's going to score a lot of points and gain a lot of yards. So I think that has something to do with it. So neither of you guys are saying this is an, an outrageous snub here from evil ESPN. You know, Tennessee fans are like about 75 other college fan bases out there. They think uh, the media is biased against them. The national media is biased against them. ESPN among them is is biased against them. You, this is not media bias. There, there's no snub here. What's going on here? Come on, like Tennessee is ranked. They're they're not ranked in the top twenty five, and and two teams they beat, Kentucky and South Carolina, are. This, come on now, media bias snub. <laughs> it goes all the way back to Peyton Manning and the Heisman. Really, it's the truth. exactly. ESPN's always had it out for him, right? <laughs> There's a little bit of a bias in that you haven't seen Tennessee in the media much. Uh, I mean, Josh Heupel, since his season ended, college football now is what the NFL has been for the last few years, which it's it's 12 months of the year. You know, everything going on at the portal now and NIL and recruiting fiascos and and coaches moving. Tennessee is the only team in the SEC that has had no assistant coaches leave. Tennessee has not really been in the news that much for things that seem to improve their standing or at least just jostle the program a little bit. Now, that's a good thing for them because you want some stability in the program. But when you're talking about February, what catches your eye? There's nothing that Tennessee is doing 
that's pushed them into the limelight where you have, you know, Ole Miss has lost because they've added coaches. South Carolina added a quarterback, as I mentioned before. Just got so much movement in the other programs, and Tennessee is, is somewhat forgotten. That's maybe the media bias is that they're not really in it that much, at least from a national perspective. So the biased media looks at this as not Tennessee's great stability. They look at it as Tennessee has become very stagnant. See, now we're getting into some media bias here. Yeah. They're boring. Program. Yeah. Milk toast Tennessee. They're boring. <laughs> John, you said you would have Tennessee ranked in a in a too early preseason top 25. I'm just going to drop that. We're going to call it a preseason top 25. How about that? Um, if you put it out there and it's the preseason, then it's a preseason top 25. Who would... Would you have Tennessee ranked ahead of any of these SEC teams, or would you just shove somebody else out and, and cram Tennessee in? Do you, would you put Tennessee ahead of Arkansas, Kentucky, Ole Miss, or South Carolina in your preseason top 25? Yeah, I might put it ahead of all of them. But Ole Miss has added so much to the transfer portal. Um, one thing I'll look at in regard to, you mentioned Arkansas. Arkansas's in the SEC West. And so it's got some, it's got a tougher road than Tennessee does in the SEC East. I think Tennessee could be second in the SEC East. A real uh, toss up for me between Tennessee and South Carolina. I just don't know if South Carolina's there yet, but it has gotten a lot of pub for adding Spencer Rattler to the Oklahoma transfer. That was one of those. Uh, uh, highlight moments in terms of the transfer portal. I just don't know if South Carolina is ready to move up, but it finished strong. So, so you can debate those two with Kentucky. The fact that Tennessee just doesn't lose to Kentucky at home. It's only lost once there since I think in the mid 1980s, 84, maybe. And the only time it lost, it had Jeremy Pruitt as its head coach, which was like, playing with weights on your shoulders. So do they have an asterisk in the in the media guide where that loss to Kentucky of you know that home loss to Kentucky asterisk Jeremy Pruitt was the coach? I think what they're gonna do, and I, I can't swear to this, but my guess is they would put an asterisk by all three years under Jeremy Pruitt. That would include the infamous loss to Georgia State in the 2020 season opener. So people kind of look at that, you know, like you have an asterisk, asterisk forfeited games from NCAA sanctions, but you still have the score of them winning the game. So you can figure it out. But yeah, I think it will be the kind of the same way. Well, of course you lost all these games. Jeremy Pruitt was the coach and now you have a, a normal coach and that won't happen again. So, so, John, is this sort of like the, uh, you know, the the baseball Hall of Fame recently? And it was, you know, you have the people have talked about why not put a hallway like being at the Hall of Fame for the steroid era? And these guys, these guys are what they are, but they were in the steroid era. So you're saying there should be like a a wing <laughs> were, where any records yeah. accomplished during this period were in the Jeremy Pruitt era? Yes, the team was on declining drugs, so they're they're. Um, <laughs> you know, their performance level was hindered and, and they, then they had a, a coach on declining medication too. Yeah. I do think that, you know, what we've been hitting around at here, the transfer portal, how much that affects these rankings. But I also think that maybe speak to how much 
at least we as college football evaluators and observers think that the transfer portal is going to affect the on-field product. And really when I say transfer portal, what I mean is these, the immediate eligibility for transfers that we now have thanks to the 2021 rule change. I think if we didn't have that rule, you would see Tennessee ranked in the top 25 of this ESPN pool because they're coming off a seven and six season. Yes, they lost to Purdue their last time out, but they bring back their starting quarterback. They bring back their whole coaching staff. You know, returners used to matter. And I know, as Adam said, they they lost some talented guys at different spots, but the quarterback holds so much weight. You know, you bring back your quarterback, you bring back your coach, you won seven games last year. The schedule, you know, isn't that unrelenting for Tennessee. I think you would see Tennessee in the old times ranked in the top 25, but so much, I think, the portal goes into our evaluations now, and Tennessee hasn't done as much as schools like Ole Miss and South Carolina that you see them in the rankings and and not Tennessee. Yeah, see, th- this is why I think Tennessee is sort of going to be an accidental experiment in in roster management in in the portal era because they're they're not going to add a lot in the portal. Like I mentioned, they've been very quiet in the portal so far. They're going to maybe add like one or two more in the spring. I think you're probably going to see some more departures as well. And it, fast forward to the season, I think somewhere – if, if Tennessee does have some success and they start off, you know, four and one or five and two or whatever, you're going to see a graphic on SEC work or ESPN during a game in like October or something that has like the average number of portal for an SEC team. And it's going to be, you know, like 7.6 or something. And then Tennessee's additions two. And if Tennessee's winning, the what the takeaway is going to be is, well, maybe these teams in the portal era are having too much turnover, you're, you're moving around too many pieces and it's better to have retention and it's better to bring in guys and, and bring them up and just, and, and you know, develop them within your program, which is more of the old school way of college football, the pre-port era and Tennessee will then be put up on a pedestal of maybe, maybe you need to pull back a little bit and not have as much movement in the portal. That's if they succeed, if they fail this next year and it's a disappointing, then you're going to say, you know, they didn't do anything in the offseason to improve themselves where everybody else did. Because Tennessee is going to have the fewest portal guys, maybe of anybody in the SEC that they, as I mentioned, they, they do right now. And it's going to kind of go one way or the other. By the way, for anybody that gets frustrated about that in the Tennessee fan base, it's not necessarily out of choice. It's really not out of choice. They're going to have a roster crunch this year. Um, I think they're still going to have a few cuts this year, last year. And so – you can't take many, many guys. And so they're going to have less turnover than everybody else, really just out of circumstance more than, than choice. I really think, Blake, that, that a lot of media types had their heads turned by what happened last season, and they've become disciples of the transfer portal. Because you look at what Michigan State did. Michigan State, we're talking about, you know, like it might win the Big Big Ten Championship at one point in the season. Didn't play out that way, but it added about 20 transfers and really revamped its uh, depth chart and had success with that. And then closer to home, you have Ole Miss, which transformed its defense from incompetent to competent and ended up winning 10 games and might have won one more if Matt Carell hadn't been injured in the, in the Sugar Bowl. So, so we've got those are glaring examples of how this transfer portal can work. And I just think a lot of people look at, I mean, 
I, I'm admittedly, uh, and I, I lean heavily toward the, the value of transfers. And I see what Ole Miss is doing now, and I think Tennessee's kind of missing out, although not necessarily its fault, as Adam pointed out. But, yeah, I'm a believer in the transfer portal. But do we not think the pendulum swing back the other way? I'm not anti-transfer portal. I think it's really good filling gaps in your, in your roster. But think of, like, Kentucky and basketball where they would turn over their, their starting five or whatever every year with new five-star blue-chip guys coming in. And it looked like, hey, this works. You just bring in, you know, the best AAU team in the country every year and you're a national title contender. And at some point, Calipari ran into doing that too much where the continu- the lack of continuity hurt him. There was no team chemistry. And they took a little bit of a step back. I just wonder when the pendulum is going to swing or who will be the example out there of a team that, you know, maybe should have won the national title or should have been at least a contender, and instead they fall off a cliff because they've replaced, you know, half their starting lineup in an offseason. Adam, I don't want to hear that. I think you are anti-transfer port. Yeah, don't <laughs> pretend not to be. No, you've got to be all in on this, and you should have added a few amens while I was speaking to the beauties of the transfer portal. <laughs> As I was thinking about this, it's not just ESPN. I should also mention USA Today, too early top 25, also does not include Tennessee, of course, uh, the parent company of this this very podcast. <laughs> you know, I was, I was thinking, okay, wh- where would I have Tennessee? And I'm not going to pretend that I know the ins and outs of, of what uh, Coastal Carolina brings back at, at left guard next year or something. But, you know, I look at it more through the SEC lens. And, and John, I'd asked you earlier, which of these teams that ESPN has ranked would you have Tennessee ahead of? And I, I think the same thing. Like, I don't have a problem with Arkansas and Ole Miss being ranked ahead of Tennessee. I mean, Arkansas, you know, for, despite being in the rugged SEC West, they won nine games last year, and they bring a lot back. Bring back their quarterback, K.J. Jefferson. They bring back, you know, a talented offensive line. I think Arkansas is still going to be solid. Ole Miss, yeah, they lost a lot, but we talked about everything they've brought in. As as John mentioned on our other podcast, SEC Football Unfiltered, that Lane Kiffin has dubbed himself the Portal King, and, and that's what we've seen Ole Miss do. So I don't, I don't have a problem with those two, but... You know, Kentucky and South Carolina are the two that those are teams Tennessee beat, and they're ranked ahead of them in this ESPN poll. And I think that makes me think that these are the two real swing games on Tennessee's schedule. And I guess maybe I could go deeper than that because I think you could throw Florida and LSU in that list too. But I do think, you know, those are the teams you have to stay ahead of in the East. You can't let South Carolina and Kentucky catch you. Those are teams you beat in 2021. I think those are, are two of the most important games on Tennessee's 2022 schedule because there's this perception that Kentucky and South Carolina have improved themselves more in the offseason than Tennessee. You have to show, no, they haven't caught Tennessee. They're, Tennessee's still ahead of those teams, and now it's about moving up to the to the next round. What, what do you think? I mean, are those two critical games for Tennessee this year? Are they, um, or, or is it more like LSU, Florida road game at, at Pittsburgh? Well, I, I think it's hard to say how good in Florida and LSU are. They were so subpar this past season. So I agree that those are potential swing games. I just, I don't even look at Kentucky as a swing game. At Neyland Stadium, I looked at, at that as a Tennessee win. 
and I still think Tennessee is ahead of South Carolina. I think it's one thing to it's worth pointing out though when when you say ESPN rankings USA Today, it's not as though these guys are polling anyone. This is what a writer thinks. Mark Slaybaugh is a friend of mine, covered the SEC for many years. He's a Georgia graduate. Good hold, writer. There. Good. Hold up there, John. Georgia graduate? Uh, well, we've uh, we've discovered the root of this bias. Uh, Mark. So that's Mark's top 25. I mean, if you, if you or Adam put out your top 25 and wrote it for USA Today, that would be USA Today's top 25, not Adam Sparks's top 25 or Blake Topbotter's top 25, USA Today. So that makes it sound bigger, you know, more, more significant than it's, hey, no, it's just some writer picking his top 25, like anybody might do that's voting in the preseason poll. Well, I think we've gotten to the bottom of it there. Schleyball's just got it in. <laughs> Who did the USA Today story? Uh, it was uh, Paul Meyerberg and, and Eric Smith. Where did those guys go to school? I, I, I don't know. I don't have the resumes of, of Paul and Eric in front of me. Okay. We have gotten to the bottom. But if you look again, I think the ESPN one had in there twice. I think they're, I think they're did, first and would. third. <laughs> yeah. Just glance back at it. If I think if you look at it closely, George is in there multiple times. <laughs> Guys, do you think do you think players look at this stuff? I, I always kind of chuckle. I, I used to do this anyway, but reporters would come into press conferences and, and ask players about being the underdog mm-hmm. in a game. Now, before betting was so mainstream and it was on like 12 commercials per hour on whatever channel you're watching and you, you can't scroll through Twitter without seeing 12 betting ads, I, I always thought that was kind of funny. Like, do you think the... You know the left guard knows what the the Caesars sportsbook betting line is for for Saturday's game. Like they don't, I don't, I truly don't think they follow that stuff that much. Now maybe they do a little bit more because betting is so mainstream. But these these top twenty five polls, do you think this is something players on the whole look at? Is this something you can glean motivation from, or is this just something for three blokes like us to talk about in February? No, that they they know them as much as they need them to be motivated, and that's in a case by case basis. I mean, the the psychology of an athlete to me, I, I applaud it, and I also roll my eyes at it often. You know, th- this idea that I mean, you know, recently in the NFL playoffs, we saw the uh, I don't know if you guys saw on Twitter the TV station that sent out when the Kansas City Chiefs get put out. TV station put out uh, some graphic and said they were never met, they were never expected to be here. They were underdogs all year um, <laughs> against all odds. They made it this far. It's like what are you what are you talking about? They were <laughs> they were the odds zone pick to win the Super Bowl for like four months. But sure, the, against all odds, this is what athletes do. So, Blake, to answer your question, will somebody know that they were snubbed? If they if an athlete needs that, then that information will find them. If they don't need that and they are the type that would roll their eyes at that, then then it's not going to find them. I mean, this is this goes from peewee football um, all the way up to the NFL guys being motivated by the stuff that if they were in their right mind would probably not motivate them. I, I remember when I was in high school, we had one of these coaches uh, when I played in high school 
we had a coach that would bring up these sort of things and they would say, you know, so-and-so picked against you guys and so-and-so said this thing about it. Um, and maybe I was already a journalist in my mind then because I would say into the locker room sometimes we would be in a pregame speech and they would say something that, that the opposing coach or player said in the paper or something. And I would lean over to my buddy, my teammate, and I would say, not exactly yeah. what the guy meant when the rest of the team is trying to get fired up about what, how that we were snubbed. And I'm saying, that's not really, he wasn't talking about our team. He was talking about <laughs> more of a general point. <laughs> so, You're over here fact checking as a 15 year old. We were two and eight my senior year. This is why. <laughs> that is so true. I, I remember I used to cover the NCAA tournament all the way through first round, right through to the final four. And I never covered one where I didn't encounter a team whose players had the same lament over and over. We get no respect. Nobody thought we would be here. Sometimes that team would be ranked in the top four nationally. And you're like, you know, you're nationally ranked. How, how could you be snubbed? But in their mind, in their mind, they might have read one thing. Or a coach, sometimes it might not even have been published. There are cases where coaches just make up stuff. They just say, well, uh, the paper says you guys don't have a chance against uh, Georgia Bulldogs this week. What do you think about that? We'll show them. And, and what does that actually do for players? Maybe they're a little angrier when they go out for the first snap, but once the game starts, it's just football as usual. It, it has no impact, but. You know, you guys ever watch those TV shows where they want to use like a newspaper headline or they got a, mm -hmm. a dogged reporter following them? And a lot of times they come up with fictitious newspapers. You know, sure. they'll, they'll change the name of the newspaper. And it's, make, it's like, this, hey, I wonder if these coaches sometimes say the, uh, you know, the, the Knoxville Times or something. So they just make up a, fic, a fictitious uh, newspaper uh, like, like you would I, in I've a told you show. guys that I think I've told you guys on this podcast before that a, a coach that I used to cover would hold up a newspaper in the mm -hmm. locker room and would make up things as if they were in that newspaper and that I wrote them. <laughs> and he would, you know, he would just shout these things and none of these players had read the paper. And so they're just assuming whatever comes out of this coach's mouth that must be written in black and white and that in that periodical that he's waving around in anger. This just happens at all levels. And again, I applaud it. I also roll my eyes at it, guys. Why are you why are you falling for that? But you, they've made it that far because of that. I mean, I don't know if you guys ever saw The Last Dance, the uh the Michael Jordan Bulls documentary. I was a huge Bulls Jordan fan in the nineties growing up. And some of the best, most psychotic examples of his motivation are in that where he would make up these snubs. And his my favorite was when they played the uh, the uh, Seattle uh, Sonics in the uh, in the finals. And George Carl, who was a North Carolina uh, uh, assistant, former North Carolina assistant, then coaching the Sonics. So he knew Jordan from way back as North Carolina days. And the night before game one, George Carl is in the same restaurant as Jordan. And Carl gets up and leaves like you do at a restaurant. And Michael Jordan leaned over to Ahmad Rashad, who was with him eating dinner there, and said, oh, so that's how it's going to be. He's just going to walk out here and say hi. Then, you know, it's on. From that point forward, he thought George Carl hated him in his mind. And that that documentary, you need to see, I mean, anybody that hadn't watched it needs to watch it. There's just these crazy made-up snubs and the best athletes train themselves to do that so getting way 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 back around to the point 
will people see these? Yeah. Hey, South Carolina is a top 25 team. I guess you guys aren't. So I, I guess you're not good enough. And that hits people in, in the right way. I don't know if you guys, I'll, I'll go with one more story. I don't know if you guys remember back a few years ago when uh, Vanderbilt, I, I, I'm pretty sure John remembers this, when Vanderbilt played Alabama the week before that game, Vandy had beaten somebody. Oh, at Kansas State. And one of my favorite players that I ever covered was a defensive lineman for uh, for Vandy, Nephi Lelau. Off the field, he looked into a camera and said something like, Alabama, you're next, or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, <laughs> you I know. remember that. It was, again, it was a little out of context even then, but he said something that was kind of taken as that, you know, and he was just in all the excitement. Alabama, I think, was up like 56 to nothing at halftime. From what I heard, I think the Alabama beat guys back then was that Nick Saban's pregame speech before that game was something like, uh, you know, guys, I've never had a Vanderbilt player rip one of my teams before. You're missing something that every other team has had because a Vandy player you out. So you're not tough enough. You're not talented enough. There's something that the public can see because Vanderbilt walked out of the room. That's the story that I got. In Alabama, <laughs> Alabama well, responded. All week long, some in Adam's paper, there just had been, the theme kind of was Vanderbilt's different now. <laughs> it's 3-0. and It just beat Kansas State, which was supposed to be a decent team, pretty good team. It's different now. This isn't business as usual. It's ready to play with the powerhouse programs in the conference like Alabama. So then in my predictions column for the SEC, I, I just dismissed all of that. Business as usual, picked Alabama to win by 30 points. Right away when that came out on the web, I got a, I got an email from a, from a Vanderbilt fan just totally denigrating my, my appraisal of the game and just saying, you know, you're just, you're just this old hack who is not up with the times. You know, you're that living might have been a, true. Yeah, well, partially sure it is. I am an old hag, but he just said, "Yeah, you don't know what's going on now. This is a different Vanderbilt, he said. And so after reading all that, he, for some reason, gave his phone number like I'm supposed to call him and give a rebuttal. So I waited. The Tennessee game was played early that day. I'd finished my column. The Alabama Vanderbilt game was on television. It was right in front of me on the screen there in the press box. So I got, I called the guy up and I, and I want to say, Adam, you might remember, it seemed like it it was just brutal by halftime. It might've been 49 to nothing or something like yeah. that. And so I called him up and just, and just let the guy didn't answer. It was his voicemail. And I, I just pretty much shredded his assessment of the game and like, what's wrong with you? This is Vanderbilt. Are you kidding me? You should be embarrassed. You even pull for that team or that you even exist and left that message. And I never got a follow-up email from him. Same I think I got, you, you know, you guys get some of these in your email when somebody's ripping somebody else and mm -hmm. they will copy you on that email, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> and, uh, I think I got the copy of the first email. The, oh, really? Can you believe this old hack? Yeah. <laughs> but it, whatever he sent you, I think, was below that. I think it said, Adam, I'm glad you're covering us fairly because this old hack over here yeah. didn't know what he's talking I was... about. I never heard from the guy again. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, maybe this, this podcast can, uh, can serve as motivation for the Vols as they uh, proceed towards spring practice here. Not ranked. 
in the early preseason top 25 from ESPN's Mark Schlebaugh and the USA Georgia Today. guy. Yeah, Georgia guy. And uh, USA Today's Eric Smith and Paul Meyerberg, wherever they went to, to college. <laughs> we'll dive into it more next week. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Volunteer State.